Good afternoon again, everybody. My name is Glenn Parkinson, Canadian Club Toronto President and your host this afternoon. A special welcome to those of us joining online on CanadianClub.org. Thank you for spending some of your afternoon with us. We'll get underway in just two minutes, but I wanted to acknowledge some of our partners that helped make this event possible. Today our sponsor is EY. Thank you for your generous support. We'd also like to thank Canadian Bankers Association, our season sponsor, and Air Canada, our official airline partner for the year. Also, our entire season is carbon neutral thanks to our partnership with Canada's Forest Trust. Together, we're not only compensating for the carbon footprint of today's event, but also planting a forest for future generations. So thank you, Canada's Forest Trust, for planting a forest and preserving it in our honour. Canadian Club Toronto regularly hosts young leaders and students from um, across the GTA, and today we're fortunate to have a table from Toronto Metropolitan University with us. If you could stand and be recognized, we'd love to thank you for joining. And one great feature of having TMU students here in particular is they ask a lot of questions, and we want our events to be interactive, so please Use the question cards on your tables if you have a question for the president and CEO of Desjardins and hold them up during the talk and we will run them up to the moderator. Similarly, for those of you online, there's a button on the right-hand side that says click to submit a question, so please use that and we'll bring it up to the front and include it in the discussion. And now I'm pleased to invite Linda Williams, managing partner, clients, markets and growth from EY to introduce our guest speaker, Linda. Hello everyone, bonjour tout le monde. EY is very happy to be supporting another Canadian club event and we're actually very proud to sponsor today's purposeful discussion with Guy Cormier and Stephanie Marotta from the Globe and Mail. Guy is the president and CEO of the Desjardins Group, the leading cooperative financial group in North America and the fifth largest in the world with over 414 billion in assets and 7.5 million members and clients. Guy's journey with Desjardins started 30 years ago with various positions until he joined the executive management team as an executive vice president of retail and distribution in 2012. Guy has led Desjardins with a growth strategy since he was elected as president and CEO in 2016 making the group a household name from coast to coast by showcasing the organization's cooperative nature, community involvement, financial stability, and the scope of its operations. He serves on the board of directors of HSC Montréal, where he earned an undergraduate and MBA and taught finance for many years. He's also on the board of the Fondation Force Avenir and the Conference Board of Canada. In 2016, he was named a Knight of the French Legion of Honor, and in 2022, he was awarded an honorary Doctorate of Law by the John Molson School of Business at Concordia University. As a champion of the cooperative model, shared prosperity, our young people, as well as a greener, more inclusive economy, Guy Cormier makes decisions that are based on the common good. He created the 250 million GoodSpark Fund 
used by Desjardins to support community building initiatives across Quebec and Ontario. Keen to provide our young people with a forum where they can discuss major issues facing our society, he established an advisory board made up of youth of ages 18 to 35. And I believe he just finished a cross-country tour. Guy is committed to social issues, including sustainable development, responsible finance, and is focused on bringing our forces together across public and private sectors to find solutions to climate change, as well as other challenges like housing. He supports rethinking our, our current economic model in favor of more collaborative approach focus on long, focused on long-term su sustainability. He's a, a proponent of shared prosperity, the circular economy, and accelerating the transition to a low carbon economy. So with that, I am thrilled to welcome our longtime colleague, and Stephanie, Guy Cormier and Stephanie to discuss the future of Canadian businesses and the role we can play in creating better, a better society, stronger local economies, and a more secure future. So kind. Hello, everyone. Bonjour tout le monde. C'est un plaisir d'être ici. Oh my God! In French also. Wow. Right? Surprise. <laughs> I think that's as far as I'm going to get, unfortunately. But uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. I'm Stephanie Moroda, the banking reporter at the Globe and Mail. So you can imagine how thrilled I am to be speaking with Guy today. Now, before we get started, just again, some housekeeping. Do not let me hog all the airtime because I will. So please take advantage of the cards that are on your tables to submit some questions. Uh, we're really excited to have this conversation, but we would love for you to take part in the discussion as well. And with that said, let's kick it off because, like I said, I have a lot of questions. Uh, merci. <laughs> Bonjour tout le monde. Très content d'être ici aujourd'hui. It's a real pleasure for me to, to be here and uh, leaving the snowstorm in Montreal and being with us. Without snow, it's good. <laughs> you know, we have a really interesting topic today, stakeholder yep. capitalism. And it's a, a theme and a theory that's gotten a lot more attention over the years, especially since the World Economic Forum made it its main focus at Davos in 2020. Yep. So let's bring this closer to home. What is your view on stakeholder capitalism, and why have you spent so much time implementing this concept? Well, I, I spent time before the pandemic because I, I'm totally convinced that you know, the last 30, 40 years of capitalism has brought uh, amazing thing. You know, many billions of people out of poverty around the world, uh, technology, innovation, so was really positive. But I think by 2015, 2016, we, we started to have a discussion about the collateral damage of capitalism. Rising inequalities, uh, pollution, uh, climate change, uh, uh, people left out of so 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 for for me as the new CEO of a cooperative that has been engaged in, in in society for a century now it was quite just normal to be an advocate of of uh, more sustainable and growth and shared prosperity and I really feel that with the pandemic now we have this it's amazing that this decade only after four years three years 
we have seen so much more compared to the last decade, honestly. Not meaning that the last decade was quite easy year after year, but we have seen a pandemic, inflation, recession, huge climate change. So I think it's, it's more important than ever to continue this discussion. And I'm a bit scared now that because of this, oh, we can't use the word ESG no more, a green ashing, blah, 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 I feel that I must, in my role, continue to be as you know, proactive as much as I can with the privilege that I have to be the CEO to try to bring people to really always implement and, and be sure that they integrate all these criterias in, 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 in their decisions. So I'd like to come back to what you said at the end there about ESG criteria, but first I want to pick up on what you said at the outset about collateral damage. Yeah. And we hear a lot about the concept of putting people over profits. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could walk us through how things could look different from the way that they're being done now. Well, for us at Desjardins, there's two key principles that are really, really important in our decisions, in our initiatives, in our strategies. And um, we still have to be better, by the way. We're not perfect, and we have to do better. But we really integrate, and I have some colleagues from Desjardins that will all say yes to what I just will say. But, but is the first principle is trying to always have in mind, always do what is best for our members and our clients. And it's not just something like that on the wall. It's really thinking of, for our members, for our clients, as a cooperative, for them, what's, what's meaningful? what's in our decisions as, as an, a positive impact for them. And the second aspect is what's in the best interest of future generations. And I think it's this one that we missed in the last 30, 40 years. What's in the best interest of future generations? And that's where we try to really tackle all of our decisions and our strategies with that in the mindset. You know, when we decided that we will keep our call center here in Canada, and we won't transfer them in other countries. Um, it's because we think it's in the best interest of our members and our clients and the people here. So there are many examples like that where I, I really feel that what we have trying to do for the last eight years is really to have in mind what's in the best interest of future generation, not only what is the best interest of the next quarter. And that's something that is really embedded in our culture. And that reminds me of a, an op-ed that you did a few years ago, where you said that capitalism is due for a redo or a do-over. And that's a very provocative thing to say. I kind of wish you had said it to me, but you know, maybe next time. But I wanted to ask you about oh, that. Well, 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 the thing is that we, we, honestly, if we don't redo capitalism, there will be people in the street. There will be people in the street. There are younger generations right now who are working for our companies, who are looking at us and expect us to, to manage differently our companies. They're choosing our companies in depending on the way we manage it or the decisions we take. So it's not only a question of climate change, which is, should be the number one aspect of. It's also a way of fighting labor shortage, trying to be attractive, trying to bring a purpose in the, in the mindset of our people. So on the long run, it's a question of innovation, labor shortage, um, culture. And at the end of the day, we will see maybe so much more people against uh, companies and institutions if they don't feel that we are as connected to profit than we are as connected to community and to people. 
And that's where you will see uh, more people that will be cynical against governments, against institution, against corporation, because they will feel that we're not taking care of their interests and taking care of them. And it can bring on the table, well, other aspects of, of social issues. That's where I think we have to be careful of. So I'd like to dive into Desjardins' role in all of this. And Linda outlined some of the uh, community programs that you've launched over the years. Yep. So when we look at uh, the whole street that's behind us, at that row of companies, everyone will say we have extensive sponsorship programs and community giving programs. How does what Desjardins does differ from the rest of its counterparts? Well, it is sure that what we're doing is, is, is sometime, and most of the time, quite as what we can see in other corporations. Donations, grants, sponsorships, uh, involvement. But there is some aspect that are totally different. Like I told you, we decided to keep our call center in, in, in Canada, maybe in Quebec and Toronto. It's more expensive. We're leaving money on the table compared to what we could have around the world. But for us, it's a way to you know, keep jobs in our communities and be involved in our communities. We still have, in Quebec and Ontario, more than 700 branches, 1,600 ATM machines. People will look at me and say, why do you still have 700 branches? In some regions where we all, you already have 60% market shares. Everyone is doing business with their ATMs now and with, with, with their, their phone. Because for us, we are in this transition of being engaged in the communities and being really careful leaving too early because we know that we have some seniors and some people that need our help and our support. And there are some small towns that if we leave the table, it will be more difficult for them to continue to be attractive or to continue to grow. Maybe I would make $2.1 billion or $2.2 billion of net profit instead of 2.1 or 2 billions. But at the end of the day, this extra $100 million. And, and, and I think what's the difference for us is the fact that when I look at the last 40 years, the concept of capitalism was to make, create values, optimize everything, create values, and at the end, I'll pay taxes and the governments with my taxes will take care of the social issues. That was kind of the deal in the last 40 years. What we are trying to do at Desjardins is, yes, we pay taxes, by the way, but, <laughs> but, but during the old process of creating values, during the old process of creating values, trying to have in mind which impact can we have in communities and on people with our suppliers, that are mainly from Canada, with, with the people we're working with, with the decisions we take during the old process of creating value, not only net profit, trying to have in mind all these other perspective of long-term perspective, not instead of compared to short-term perspective, what's in the best interest of future generations, what's in the best interest of our people, our, our employees, our members, during the old process, even though it's not the most efficient, uh, profitable decision, we understand that we leave money on the table, maybe, but it's part of our engagement. So I think it's the main difference compared to other corporations. When we decide to install in Quebec and Ontario nearly 500 electrical charging stations that we did by ourselves in our case network, it wasn't to make money. It was to be engaged in this 
you know, fight against climate change and try to bring an electrical charging station in an area where no one will top off, but at least it's part of trying to build something. So I think it's not only donations and sponsorships, it's along the way why, when you manage the organization and also uh, in specific decisions that we take where we feel that uh, it's the one that we should take for the future. Well, first, thank you for bringing up bank taxes. I'm going to come back to that. Yeah. Thank you for the opening. But I'd like to dive into the, the branch piece a little bit first. Something that Guy and I share is we both started our careers as bank tellers. Yeah. We've deposited a lot of checks. So you illustrated the importance of that community presence and being in those local areas where you want to operate. But do you have some examples of some opportunities that you might have missed out on had you not had that presence? Uh, well, is there really opportunities that we missed because we didn't have this presence in some communities? Um, I don't necessarily think so because, you know, uh, we have some regions in, that we have 60, 70% market shares that we are really engaged and involved. If you go in Quebec mainly, you will see all arenas and all uh, activities in different communities that there's always a Desjardins logo. So I really feel that because of our presence, because of, of, of who we are, people want to, to, to stay connected with us and do business with us. Is there some moments that we missed something? Uh, I think that there's maybe one aspect is the fact that people are really expecting us to continue to be a leader regarding climate change. And and for some of them, uh, they want us to, you know, leave the table with some organizations, fossil fuels. Uh, they want us to, to really be more aggressive and proactive in the way we bank by, uh, by not doing business with some companies and entities. But at the same time, we put ourselves in a mindset of a, trend, a just transition where we understand that there's, we're, we're moving from one part to another. So some of our some some of our stakeholders would love us to me go go to go faster and quicker in the you know the green energy transition but we put ourselves also in a mindset of trying to accompany our companies and entities uh, really uh, proactively and with this long-term perspective so it's always a question of pace so it, there will maybe there's this area where i feel it's one of my biggest challenge for some people i don't go as far as I should, and for some, for some others, I go too fast. So that's where I'm struggling sometimes. So on the issue of that, around mandatory ESG criteria and disclosures, where do you fall on that debate? I think this decade is a decade that will be a game changer around the globe. I think we enter this decade uh, without having necessarily specific KPI, um, a bit of everyone is very good, but we don't audit everything. Uh, we will leave this decade with EY that will sign our financial statement with numbers and with ESG criteria. And I think that will be a huge change because now people are, we are on a trust challenge right now. People are trusting, but not too sure that they should trust corporations because we don't know for some aspect. We're not too sure. Is it real? Is it true? Everyone is winning awards now from different, I don't know what. So I understand the citizens to be like a bit, a bit chilly, a bit not too sure of. 
now bringing, like we, we have in Montreal, in Canada, the ASB, the International Sustainability Standard Board, here in Montreal, in Canada, that will provide new um, rules that will really bring on the table more transparency, uh, a same taxonomy, uh, and uh, you know, a big four that will sign, yeah, what Desjardins just said, I audited it, and it's right. So it will be more uh, a same level playing field for everyone, and I think people will feel that, okay, when Desjardins is saying that, this is true, when BMO is saying that, this is true, when TD is saying that, now people are not too sure. So I think it will be a, a, a very, very important in this decade. And, and in 2025 years, we will look at 2024, 2025, and we will be in a mindset of, oh, it was funny how much discussion we had about KPI and numbers and stuff, but in 2050, it will be all done, and it will be, okay, it's part of the game now. We have financial statement, and we have ESG statement, audited by companies, and now it's clean, and that's business. And if you don't have it, you won't supply. You won't be part of the business. You won't be, uh, you know, uh, uh, in the data that we want to work with and the people that we want to work with. So I think it's a, it'll be a, a huge challenge. And you talked about that very tricky position that you and other financial institution yeah. leaders are in where one side of the debate wants you to move faster, the other wants you to hold off and focus on transition. Are there... In cases where a project or a financing doesn't meet your ESG requirements, have you started rejecting certain projects? Ask them at the table there, our people from the capital market. Let me get my request. Jean-Yves Bourgeois, Jean Bourgeois is in charge of all our business activities. Ask him. Seriously, we have for the, not the SMEs yet, but the mid-market and the corporations, we have now ESG criteria that are as important as the financial statement and the financial analysis. And yes, in the last 18 to 24 months, we have, you know, we said no to many deals in many industries, not only fossil fuel, but many, many industries that we felt that we asked three questions to the companies. First, um, do you have an ESG politic? Do you have an ESG strategy? Second, is it part of, of, of your risk management. Does ESG is part of your risk management? And third, do you have KPIs? Do you have goals? If there's a yes on these three questions, we want to continue the discussion. But if there's a no in one of these three questions, sometimes we'll leave the table. We'll try to influence as much as we can. You know, we just launched uh, uh, a year ago uh, uh, an ESG swap a swap of interest rates where we will sign a deal and by the end of the swap, if the company or the corporation followed some specific KPI that we sign you know, in the contract, we will give you back, we'll give back a cash back to this company because they achieve what they told us to achieve. Could be security, employee securities, could be the impact on the environment, pollution. Uh, I don't know what kind of ESG criteria, but it's embedded in the contract, and we will give a cash back at the end of the five-year or three-year term. So for us, that's a way to try to influence companies to integrate these ESG criteria. And if they don't achieve it after three years, four years, these companies, they won't receive a cash back from Desjardins, but they will have to pay 
or, or let's say just give a grant or donation to an NGO, ESG NGO in their community, and it's by law in the contract. So the first thing that we'll try to do is to stay around the table and influence as much as we can. But there's many companies that these guys said, no, we passed. And these companies, find their, <laughs> they find their financing somewhere else. But for us, we already have around $150 billion of our assets that are under our ESG, uh, let's say, criteria uh, analysis uh, on the $400 billion. So, so we're, and we're heading to $400 billion. But we started with the corporations, the mid-market, and now we're heading with the SMEs. And that's where I'm scared with the SMEs. Because if you go in Europe now with Scope 3 and they're asking many SMEs to look at their activities and their carbon footprint, many SMEs are looking at them like, what are you talking about? What are you asking me to do now? Now you don't want to lend money to me because I'm, I don't even know what's my carbon footprint as an SME. And we're a country of SMEs. So that's where I'm scared in the next five, 10 years. How we follow and help our SMEs? Because big corporations will say, we don't want you in our supply chain because of, because of. So we have to help our SMEs. I'm sure you can't talk about specific clients, but what types of projects have you declined in the last two years? Uh, mining, casino, uh, uh, thermal coal, uh, fossil fuels. There is not one specific company, but there is, and, and there is not one industry that we're out. It depends on the management, it depends on the strategies, it depends on of the way they are as serious as we think about their transition. And we don't, and we don't leave them and we don't say no the first day. We're trying to influence, we're trying to explain to them, we're trying to say, look at this competitor, he's doing it, why don't you introduce that? You understand that the puck is heading there. It will be like that in 2040. Why don't you start now? And we wanna help, and we can put you in touch with some partners that will help. But at the end, there's some tough discussion. We have, I think we have around 150 meetings per year with boards, management committee, board of directors, and we're trying to influence them as much as we can to really integrate these, these criteria. But, but at the end, if they don't, we, we, we leave the table. Well, that's not what we want. That's not what we want because we want to be part of the transition. We want to help them as much as we can. I'm also going to take that as an invitation to interview all of you guys. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Us will be coming in. <laughs> we'll switch over to some audience questions. Thank you for submitting these. Uh, the first one, um, you mentioned that Desjardins is now considering what's best for future generations. Can you outline what tangible steps, practices, and procedures this looks like and ex the expected outcomes? The first thing I did when I was uh, elected uh, in 2016, uh, um, Desjardins chairman and CEO, is I launch a, a youth advisory board uh, of uh, 12 people that are under 35. Uh, four employees, four members, and four uh, board directors in our case network. And I told them that I want to present you the same files and the same projects that I bring at the management committee and the board of directors. And actually, I want you to come to the board of directors. The younger one didn't want, and my board didn't want to. <laughs> Are you serious, Guy? You want to bring young people of 28, 29 years old to the board? Oh, come on, Guy. You're, we're, let's be serious here. We, we run Desjardins. 
So what I did at the first time is I was bringing the same files. Jean-Yves will bring the same file to the management committee or to the board of directors. And we brought the same file to the younger one. And they were so shy at the beginning that we were just taping them with our, our cell phone. And we brought the, the same file to the, the board. And we asked them, what do you want to do with this? Oh, we shouldn't do that, blah, 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 blah. Okay, let's see what the younger one wants. After two meetings, they asked to bring the younger one. Because it was real. So, I, I, so, so the first thing is really put young people in the art of the, the decisions. And it's tough sometimes. But it, it, it pushed my board and my management committee to have in mind so many different perspectives regarding climate change, regarding diversity, regarding long-term perspective. Uh, so, so, so that's something, and it's still working after eight years. And uh, each three years, we change the younger one at, on this committee because they're too close to Desjardins. They're too close to Desjardins. They have no more this, this, you know, this, this gap. And uh, I try to meet them regularly two, three times per year, just an evening, and talk to me and explain to me what, what you see in the future. So I think the first thing is to really be totally engaged, true in that, transparent, and personally get involved in listening to the younger one. So that's one, one big difference. The second thing is, like I told you before, uh, regarding how we, uh, we try to uh, keep communities really uh, engaged and, and in, a, in a growing perspective by still leaving some branches in these communities. This is, this is one of my other biggest challenge, to really try to balance the past of Desjardins after 123 years and try to build a Desjardins in the future. And there's always someone telling me that Alphonse Desjardins is probably rolling in his grave because I'm not as I should be like, yeah. But, but keeping in mind our past, but trying to put Desjardins in the future. So that's, that's why keeping some branches in some regions that are for many competitors or for many other people outside Desjardins will look at that and say, why are you doing that? You know? We're really involved now in circular economy. We, we, we gave a, a donation of $2.1 billion to a university engineering in university in Montreal. Try to see if we can contribute to more circular economy about you know, reducing, uh, friendshoring, bringing back some more activities in some regions in Quebec and Ontario. So we're not making money with that. We're just trying to build something that could be really positive for our SMEs and companies in the future. I think that's a great segue into our next audience question. And uh, it is, you've brought youth to the table. Mm -hmm. uh, you listen, and I have no doubt that you also learn. But how do you bring what you learn to the executive table and to Desjardins' strategy? Well, I bring the young one at the table. That's the thing. I bring the age. Each year, we have uh, an annual uh, strategic uh, get-together with the management committee and the board. And each year, there is three to four, Jean-Yves, is it true? There's three to four young one in the meeting. And I remember very well having a meeting where one of the, the executive vice president brought on the table something regarding financial literacy, financial education on your, on your cell phone with a game and something really interesting. And I had people at my board, 
55, I'm 54, okay? So 55, 60, 65. It's not old, but sometimes it's not young too. So, <laughs> so, so they told me no. No, 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 we don't go there. We don't go there. We don't go there because there's, there's, there's privacy and, 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 and no gaming, and we don't want to go in this. We're a financial institution. And there's one kid that got up and said, you know what? That's for me financial literacy now. That's for me financial education. Do you really think I'm going to understand savings, interest rates, compound interest rates, budgeting, everything by reading documentation? No, no. I'm going to learn on my cell phone. That's how I learn in life now, on YouTube and everything. And the board said, OK, let's go with that. And we invested millions and millions of dollars to develop uh, a, new, uh, a new platform, gaming platform, that is actually on, uh, on Apple Store called Alea in French. Alea, A-L-E-A, is the ninth largest download gaming uh, financial literacy, whatever you want, uh, in Canada. But if this young one is not at the table in this meeting, there is no gaming financial education thing at Desjardins. So that's a real example of what they change. Uh, I can have also uh, another example about uh, the transition. The young ones help, are helping me so much about finding the right stance about uh, climate change transition and energy transition because they are the ones who are telling me what they expect but they are also very pragmatical about the, the fact that, okay, we understand that we can't change everything in a weekend. So it, it's really helped me personally as a CEO. Switching to this audience question, I think someone might have seen my notes because I'm going to wrap some context around this one that I've been meaning to ask. The question is, do you think the federal government is being fair to banks? What solutions would you like to see them enact? And what I would add to that is, um, over the last year, we've seen a lot of really interesting federal policies come out. Mm -hmm. The government has introduced several new taxes on banks. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple months ago, the finance minister came out and said that she expects banks to yeah. eliminate non-sufficient funds fees, to provide low or no-cost banking accounts. Yeah. So from that stakeholder capitalist mm -hmm. view, how do you view mm -hmm. those, those new This positions? is a very good question. Uh, I'm always careful, and I'm not a politician, I'm not doing politics, but I'm always careful by maybe trying to bring an industry that is a bad industry. You know, when, we, um, when, when the pandemic arrived, uh, I think the government asked us to be as, uh, as uh, open and as proactive as we can with many, many clients about uh, taking care of. If you can't repay your, your loan, you're in the real estate, you're in a, a restaurant, your restaurant, you are, I don't know what. We have been very careful to help as many companies and Canadians that we can during the pandemic because we thought it was our role. Not even only Desjardins, but many of our competitors. So, and, the, uh, and I think the reward was to receive uh, an extra tax uh, after. Because we are supposedly a financial institution that's making so much money, and we are an industry that's making so much money. But at the end of the day, I think we have to look at our industry not only as uh, 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 corporations that wants to make money, 
but we are facilitators about people who have money and people who need money. And we are, and that's why you see in 2008, that's why you see uh, the, uh, you know, the U.S. has been, and in Europe too, very, very keen to help this industry because we understand very well that if you don't have a financial sector that is viable, that is strong, well, it's your own economy that is under pressure. So, honestly, I, I, I applaud when I see the governments who is trying to helping every one of us to, to behave and to act in a long-term perspective, in a people you know, mindset to help, that's shared prosperity. But when we are shifting to a message that is, we are a bad industry, we're making too much money, and we're not this, that's where sometimes I'm like, um, I'm not there yet. So if I'm understanding this correctly, then you currently oppose the measures that the government has Well, adopted. no, I'm not opposing it. I'm not opposing it. When I look at the mortgages, you know, with the renewals that are on the way now, that uh, we should uh, call the people, you know, for, for four to six months before, we should find solutions regarding amortizations. We, when the CMHC three, five years ago, said, you know what, we will look at some people who want to lend money instead of trying to analyze it with the rates of 2-3%, try to analyze it at 5-6% in case of, that was very good decisions that they took because now we are in a situation where, thanks to these kind of analysis that we did three years ago, now people are maybe more able to go through because we took the time to do that. So there is some that are really okay, and, and I'm not opposing it, to all of these decisions that they're taking, honestly. What I'm a bit sometimes not too sure of is by bringing these new rules, it's this kind of message as we're a bad industry, we're making too much money, and we're, we're, that's where I feel like I'm not sure that we're there. I'm, I'm sure that this is good to bring that. We're evolving, but we're trying to be as close as we can to our people. But... Uh, but we're making $2 billion, $2.1 billion of net profit, and we're investing, we're reinvesting it in the economy, in the communities, we're paying taxes, and we are facilitating so many activities in many industries. So that's where I stand. So I'm not in opposition of, of what they present, but sometimes when I feel that, not recognition, but, but just who we are as an industry, we just have to be careful. I'd like to, to switch this to a topic that I've been dying to ask you about since yeah. I took on this role here. So I don't think it's a question from the crowd here, eh? <laughs> Nope, not this one. <laughs> so I want to ask you about pay ratio disclosures. Yeah. And Desjardins has disclosed uh, the ratio of its average employee compensation to that of its CEOs since or 2012, I believe. And the UK and the US have all implemented mandatory pay ratio disclosures for publicly traded companies. Uh, and here in Canada, every year, uh, shareholder activist groups will come to the bank's annual general meetings, shareholder groups like MEDAC, and will propose that the banks here also implement pay ratio disclosures. And every year, the banks recommend that shareholders vote against that, that motion, uh, and they're ultimately defeated. So as an, a financial institution that does have that policy in place, why is Canada and the financial industry here so resistant to implementing that? That's a good question. Honestly, that's a good question. And uh, I, um, I, 
I don't run the other financial institution. I don't know why. I don't know what they, they're scared of. Or I can tell you what we did at Desjardins. You know, we, since 2012, we, uh, we, we, we said yes to this disclosure. We, uh, we compared ourselves as my salary is compared not only to the banks in Canada, is compared to the cooperative uh, around the globe, mainly in Europe. Uh, the five top ranked um, you know, executive vice president, uh, actually just in 2022, it was around $12 million. You know? It's the salary of one CEO in Canada in a bank. You know? So, so I, I, I can't comment why they don't want to do that, or maybe we can have all our own opinion. What I can tell you is at Desjardins, our compensations are, are, are compared to many, many credit unions and cooperatives around the globe, not only the banking industry and the insurance industry. Um, and I think we will need more and more. With the ESG, ESG will bring more and more pressure on that. And I, like I said, this decade is a game changer, I'm sure, regarding transparency and disclosure. And I will be really pleased to have the same questions in 2030 to see it will be the same answer. I think we are in a transition mode and we're heading to something that will be different. And the pressure will just continue to be from the employees, from the stakeholders, from around the, pe the people around. So. so I think we have time. And that's where, uh, that's where, and you will be pleased with my, 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 my answer now, and that's <laughs> where our industry, which is not perfect, really have to be careful sometimes about um, about the way we, we, we run or manage, because if we're not, we're so heavily regulated that someone else will take the decisions for us. So that's where we have to be careful sometimes. So I think I have time for one more question. So I'm gonna stick Pleasure. to the governance piece in ESG. Yep. Yep. Um, and kind of along the veins of, of the compensation piece, but I wanted to pick up on um, the equity and gender equity piece of this conversation. And last year, Desjardins was ranked uh, number four in North America for yep. companies that are uh, friendly for women to yep. work at. And when we look at Not in America, around the world. Oh, was it around the world? Yeah, yeah it's a big difference. I misspoke. <laughs> by the way, around the world. I love America, but around the world. <laughs> I will run a correction. It is around the world. Um, but it's, it's an interesting, uh, I, when I saw that, I was quite interested in it because when we look at this industry, Desjardins' last CEO, Monique Leroux, was yep. a, a woman. Uh, up until a couple of months ago, Laurentian also had a female yep. CEO. Yep. But among the big six banks, we have yet to see a woman take the helm of one of the larger financial institutions. So as a, a financial institution that has been recognized as a great place for women to work, what's it going to take to get a woman into that seat at one of the major institutions in Canada? Well, it's, uh, it's not one thing that will happen. It's uh, so many different strategies. You know, when I, when I became in 2016 Desjardins president, it was clear in my mind, I had two female representatives on the board of directors on 24. Uh, the management committee wasn't 50-50. Uh, and, and you have to work it out really, really deeply in your organization to really build something that will bring results in four, five, six years. So that's where we decide to do things that are quite, we said the, the, the board of directors was people elected in the case network. And depending on in which regions they were coming from, they will 
automatically be on the, the, the board of directors, Desjardins board of directors. We changed totally that. And we said to the people, after 12 years, you can be no longer on the board in your cases and at the, at the Desjardins level. So, so it, it, we had a huge amount of, of men that were uh, president of their cases that had to you know, step down. And it brought a lot of fresh air with, with women that decided to go on. And after that, they went to the Desjardins board. Now we are uh, at probably nine, nine women on, on 19. Now we're nearly 50%. The management committee is the same. It's 50%. But it's, you know, we set targets. We set targets. We follow them each quarter. Uh, we have many, many, many programs to to bring more more female and to more women at the management level. Actually, 59% of the managers at Desjardins are, are women. So for us, so it's not a question of you have to find, you have to build that. What it's going to take, it's five year, a five-year plan of, of you know, building something in your organization, in your organization. We have still, for the last six years, many, many workshops about BS. You know, unconscious BS that people have. So it's not one thing that will change. It's many, many little strategies and many, many different initiatives. But what, what at Desjardins we put in place, and people understand it very well, is that we feel that we're more performant now. At the end of the day, it's not a question of gender. It's not a question of having more women on. I'm totally convinced that we are a more performant organization. And when you explain to someone that you have a tool to be more performant, most of the time they want to use this tool. And parity, gender parity, is, a, is, a, is an amazing tool to be more performant in our decisions, in our strategies, in the way we, we manage the jobling. So I, like I said, you really need to, to have someone else in this chair in the banking industry. But, but, but honestly, I don't know what they will do or what will achieve. But from our perspective, this is some this is a journey that you have to build five, six years before if you want different results. I think we're going to have to leave it there. I have a million more questions for you, but we're about to get the hook off the stage. So thank you so much for your thank time. You very very much. Much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you both, uh, Guy and Stephanie, for such an inspiring um, and hopeful discussion, too. I, I admire your wonderful example of inclusion and long-term thinking, um, the practicality you've brought to the role as well with the three questions for the investment committee, which I thought were very practical and tangible, and, and you're really providing strong leadership and guidance. And I mean, I learned a lot. I'll tell you, or I'll admit that my six-year-old self hadn't thought about scope three emissions challenge for SMEs, so I was glad to hear about that too. And um, so thank you very much on behalf of the club for being with us, and Stephanie, a wonderful job moderating. So thank you very much, and we hope to have you back again shortly. Thank you. Now, before we close, I would just like to bring your attention to a few more of our events uh, before the end of the year, and right after the end of the year, actually. So on Friday, December 15th, we'll have the Bank of Canada Governor Tiff Macklem here at the podium. And then our first event of the new year will be our 47th annual Outlook event, where we bring together an incredible panel um, to discuss challenges and opportunities across the economy, across politics, and the worlds of finance all collide. And it's a really lively and fun event. Um, it's one of our favorites, so please join us in person or online. Visit our website for more information. 
Finally, I'd like to thank VVC, our AV sponsor, for putting together the event and broadcasting live around the world. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thanks for being with us. Bye now.